Yeah, look, um, I think one thing that you need to understand is that, look, as much as SARS has uh, created a situation whereby auto-assessments and everything like that, right, the owners of Disclosure rest with you. Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. So guys, it's tax filing season, and this means that all non-provisional taxpayers have until the 23rd of November this year to file their returns. Now, there are some people who look forward to tax season because they may even get a rebate, but for many of us, it can feel a little bit overwhelming. You know, what deductions are we allowed? You know, what if I make a mistake on my tax return? Uh, to help us unpack all of this, I am joined by Donaldson Madungwe of Tax Consulting South Africa. So welcome, Donaldson, and thank you so much for coming and giving us a little bit of insight into, into the tax filing season. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Maya. Uh, I'm so excited to just share uh, with the rest of the audience what we have and uh, assist as much as possible. Absolutely. We don't want to we, we want to pay our tax. We don't want to pay more tax than we have to. And I have to tell you on that, Donaldson, I have been inundated, but inundated with queries around home office deductions. So we're going to talk about that, but a little bit later in this podcast. We're not going to jump straight in. There's a couple of other things that I want to get through, first of all. And that is the concept of auto-assessment, because this is fairly new. It was introduced last year by SARS. I think about 3 million people received an SMS saying, just go onto the SARS website and accept. Tell me a little bit more about this. What has it been the experience of your clients around auto-assessment? Okay, so basically when we look at auto-assessments, um, SARS auto-assesses based on the data they receive from their employees, financial institutions, the medical schemes, retirement annuity funds, administrators, and third-party data providers. So it's literally, it's not something that SARS is creating offhand. It's something that they are actually receiving from your providers, right? And then from there now, if you accept the results of the auto-assessment, right, uh, if there is a refund, then definitely they'll start processing it. However, you as a taxpayer have the right to actually say, no, hold on, I want to look at this. I want to go deep into this assessment. I want to see if everything has been captured. Remember the owners of uh, the burden of proof and the owners of disclosure rest with you as a taxpayer. There's this job that says, uh, look, the government will say, look, you owe us money. And then you say, how much? And then they say, no, what do you think is the amount that you owe us? <laughs> so that's where the catch is. The government knows how much you'll be owing them. So the, remember, so they will put whatever it is that they have, the information that they have, but the owners still rest with you to go on the system and make sure that you upload everything else that has been left out. So it's not like, okay, just because you guys have auto-assessed me, you've loaded this thing, I'm going to, I'm not going to disclose this other rental income of mine, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be non-disclosure. And you could argue and say, well, you didn't have it on my, I just accepted my tax return. That's not good enough. Um, and, and Donaldson, did you, I mean, I certainly picked this up last year. So I was doing my mom's tax return for her and um, they had missed some IRP5 stuff. Um, you know, it wasn't that actually, I, I mean, they're saying that I think 85% of people accepted it, but I, you know, what was your experience? Are you finding that, 
you really also not only if you have perhaps additional income you need to declare, but maybe you just need to double check that they have your your uh, donations tax uh, down there and your travel allowance and, and and retirement annuities and all that sort of thing. Yes, spot on. So what you need to look at is uh, number one: when you have that auto assessment done, go through everything, go through every all the information, including especially IRP fives, right? Go and see whether they've been preloaded correctly. Compare them, if possible, with the actual IT3 certificates that, that will be issued. You know, do that as a do that comparison. Look at those things, see whether they tally. Look at even the text numbers that are there, your, your text number, the amounts that are there, right? Have a look at all the that information, tick everything, right? And then after that, after that, if you are satisfied that look, you know what, they have captured everything. Then you can then say, okay, look, let's proceed to the next stage. Uh, that's submission. If there is a refund, they'll process your refund. If there's no refund, then they obviously issue you uh, your IT A34 and everything like that to confirm that, look, you've already submitted your return. But it is very, very crucial that you go through that information mm-hmm. one by one. If you don't understand the information, then there's, that's when we come in as consultants to help you understand and interpret what information is there and what it means. So that if you say, no, look, I don't know anything about this, we can, the the, the, the relevant uh, service provider will be contacted and told that, look, you uploaded one, two, three, four, five. Does this apply to me? No, it doesn't apply to me. I don't know anything about this. Mm. We have heard also situations whereby uh, indeed, um, clients, they say they come to us and say, no, look, I'm not so sure about this thing. They query some of these things that are preloaded, you know, and then we can help them get to the bottom of it. That's the good thing about working with a consultant because they make you understand what exactly is transpiring and what happened. So, yes, definitely you need to go through each and every little thing. And I, I think it is important that if you especially have something that's a little bit more complicated, it's not just a simple IRP5 with a you know with an RA deduction, that it is sometimes worth getting the advice rather than <laughs> than uh, you know getting yourself into the, onto the wrong side of wrong side of SARS. And um, but I wanted to also so I must just by the way mention, you know, he he spoke about um the SARS Commissioner spoke last week about last year. They said that 77% of refunds were paid in 72 hours. Now, my son is another example. His he was at a very, very simple tax return um, and he did it and got his money, I think, within 24 hours. So where it's working, it's working extremely well. And I do think it's been a huge plus for for um, you know for, for taxpayers. And I see also this year what they've introduced is the SMS service. Now, of course, you don't really need that as a tax uh, consultant yourselves. <laughs> you, you have a you've got a fast line into SARS. But one of the concerns I suppose one has is that you know we're moving into all this technology, smartphones, all of that, but there are South Africans who don't use smartphones. So there is now an SMS cap- uh, capacity that where you can send them an SMS and get and get replies, which I think was is also quite a good move. No, yeah, definitely it is. I mean, the whole concept lies with trying to accommodate everyone. You know, they're trying to make it easier for everyone. Because remember, at the end of the day, the more SARS makes it complicated, the more it erodes its tax base. Mm-hmm. So they are trying by all means to ensure that the tax base covers everyone. And worse off with people migrating, with this whole migration, it's already, it's eating already into the tax base. So they are trying now to reach out to those ends that we never reached out before and make it very easy for people to do their submissions, to do their returns. And uh, speaking of uh, refunds, uh, indeed, SARS is actually doing that uh, like within a very, very short space of time. 
that is if it's a look like a simple uh, uh return however if it's more complicated then obviously you need to, to to get a consultant to have a look at it you need a consultant to interpret the information for you and then obviously assist in facilitating for the refund because one thing i know about SARS is the bigger the amount the more time it takes for them to approve to that refund <laughs> You know, I'm paying back little bits of money to my son, but any very large. Now, talking about when you were talking about about um, immigration and the impact that's having on on our tax base, but also what I found unbelievable was that SARS has identified twenty six thousand people with economic activity. So that means they're spending more than a million a year who are not registered for tax. Do you think? I mean, are you? seeing SARS really clamping down a lot on, on non-disclosure. I mean, quite frankly, that just frustrates me. I mean, here I am paying my taxes and I pay a lot of tax and it hurts. And then there's some people <laughs> who go around <laughs> not paying tax. This is not fair. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, one thing I'll tell you for sure is SARS is, is not going back in terms of uh, clamping down on disclosure they are really, really, really going hard and fast on disclosure without bringing any names into this thing, into this discussion. Look, there are certain clients that they tell you that one, two, three, four, five, okay, fine, cool, it's okay, right? Next thing SARS tells them, no, 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 look, there's number one, number two, number three, number four things that you did not do. That's when you realize that a client now starts calling you and saying, oh, by the way, look, uh, yeah, I did submit my return in my personal capacity, but... They've come back to me. They say, look, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five things that you did that you did not disclose. Can you assist me? We are having cases like that. We are having cases like that. And obviously, this comes with penalties because you did not disclose initially. It comes with repercussions. So the idea is try by all means to disclose as much as you can upfront before, yeah. Yeah, before it gets messy. No? And um, obviously, try to play, like, we need to just play fair across the board. If you receive a certain income, right, then what's due to SARS, give it to SARS. Because hmm. income, you can't argue. Maybe expenses, you can argue and you can submit and you can debate it. You cannot argue yes. income. You can't say, oh, I didn't know I should report my income. <laughs> that doesn't work. Exactly. No, that's clear. It's, the rules are very, very straightforward. If you are in South Africa, if you are a resident of the Republic, then we're going to tax you on worldwide income. If you're a tax resident of the Republic, we're going to tax you on worldwide income. If you are a non-resident, we will definitely be taxing you on South African sourced income. That's simple. So there's no two ways about saying, ah, no, by the way, I forgot that I have a rental income, you know. That's non-disclosure already. Yeah. I actually want to get back a little bit later. I want to go back to that tax residency thing because I actually had a, que- a query from one of our listeners around CGT on offshore assets. But I'm going to come back to that because I want to just, for now, uh, focus on the tax return and just having a look at some of the deductions that you can make. And especially around one of the questions I picked up, and it's a really good one, is travel allowance. Because remember, you're given this travel allowance to cover your business-related travel, except nobody's been traveling anywhere. Could people land up with a bit of a shock in their tax return? Oh, yes, of course. With travel allowance, what you need to understand is that, remember, you get, um, you get, you get a deduction for what you've used, right? You can't claim a deduction for what you've not used. That's the rule. So what it means, what it simply means is that if you get a travel allowance and you don't use that travel allowance, then why do you want to claim a deduction on it? So 
It simply means that that travel allowance is going to be treated as a fringe benefit. It will add up to your gross income, but you cannot deduct it because you did not utilize it during the course, the period. So do, do, does that mean that some people who had travel allowances could actually pay into SARS? Because remember, they, they, their monthly salary would have been structured um, and, and, the, and you know, the tax structured around that, that uh, travel allowance. What, what could people expect to find um, when they make their submissions now? Unless, yes. unless okay. they have a long book. Yeah. Okay. So, look, there are two things. Unless you can prove that, indeed, you did travel for business purposes, right? Then, yes, you can claim that expense. But as long as you cannot prove that, look, you know what? I traveled for business expenses, then you cannot claim it. Because, like we're saying, that you cannot claim something that you did not enjoy. I think, we're going, to see, I think we're going to see a little yeah. bit of a shock for people now because exactly that. Definitely. They're going to definitely. 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 So I think that's an definitely. interesting one. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. most, most people were used to the concept that, look, I travel to work. I go to work so I can claim those, I mean, that travel allowance and everything like that, you know, and it's, a, it's part of my deductions. It's put in as, a, as part of my gross income, but it's also deducted as well, you know, under Section 11, you know, and everything like that. But however, this time around, it's not going to be like that because you were not traveling. You were at home. So, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I think it's so going to be uh, South is going to reach, it's going to stretch its hand again. Grab that money. <laughs> Trust me, and they will, because they're going after every random cent at the moment. Um, I had I had an interesting question, actually, though, from one of our listeners, because um, they've been all been sending me in questions, Donaldson, and, and knowing that you were coming on, and they wanted to <laughs> get all their text questions answered. And this, this again, relates to the vehicle allowance, uh, or the travel allowance. And they said, doing the vehicle tax return, where it says cash price of vehicle, do you put the original value or the current value as per the tax certificate you receive from the financier? an interesting question because cars of course do devalue yeah no no you put the original value you oh. we use the original value yes 100 yeah yeah and um also just one of the other questions i got in was the pros and cons of having a government subsidized vehicle when it comes to tax now we've just raised one of the big cons which is well if you didn't use it for work purposes because you've been in COVID, this could be a really nasty nasty shock now i don't know if government subsidized vehicles are any different from your normal travel allowance issued by companies okay so when we look at government subsidized vehicles first and foremost we have to look at it from this perspective number one is it a pool car or it's specifically allocated to you. So if it's a pool car, then you, you, you are not going to pay, you're not going to get anything paid, right? It's not going to form part of your gross income. It's not going to be part of your benefit because it's a pool car, right? But then if, however, it's allocated specifically to you, then what it means is that there's a certain component probably of that subsidy that's going to be put in as part of your gross income right? And then now what you can do now is you can claim the deduction on business travel. On private travel, you can't. SARS will text you on private travel. So you find that after saying, after saying, after um, determining whether it's a pool car or it's a private or it's, a, it's, it's, it's privately allocated to you, the next determination is going to be, is it um, you have to streamline between the business travel and the personal travel, regardless of whether it's government or non-government, unless, unless there's a specific um, provision or maybe that vehicle is specific for certain reasons or certain government program 
that is exempt under the, the, the tax legislation, then yes, we then exempt it. So there has to be, it has to be, there has to be a spe- specific provisions. Because you find that some in some instances, if that vehicle might be allocated maybe to a special economic zone, which enjoys certain benefits, certain exemptions, you know. So if that is the case, and then we have to apply the legislation, we have to apply the law, which means we have to exempt it according to that. But from a general perspective, this is how it works. That's how it works. It's included, it's part of it. Private travel would definitely attract tax. Hmm. And again, this is going to be a problem if you were not traveling for business during COVID. Um, so that's <laughs> travel allowances. But I wanted to look now also at medical expenses. This is another one that, that people are, are can sometimes deduct. Now, of course, we're not talking here about your medical aid credit. So you get a credit, I don't know, a couple of hundred rand uh, you know, per member of the medical scheme. You get back as a credit, a tax credit. But what happens, can you ever deduct um, expenses, medical expenses that your medical aid did not cover? On what basis are you able to do that? Okay, so if you look at, when, when, even when you're filing your return, um, there's also actually a component that gets to ask you that, are there any expenses that you, were, that you incurred that were not covered by your medical aid? And yes, you, if they are there, we will put them there. They will be factored into that medical tax credits. It will actually help you towards those medical uh, tax credits, right? So definitely it will add on. But however, remember again, the owners of proof rest with you as the taxpayer. So what you need to make sure is that you have your invoices in place. So as to be able to then say, look, to ascertain that, look, indeed, I did incur these expenses, one, two, three, four, five, they were not covered by the medical aid. And then, yeah. So I know with with medical aid, um, with medical aid expense, uh, medical expenses that are not covered by your medical aid, that your age has quite an important role there. So I know certainly my mom being over 70, she's able to claim those uh, from her tax return. Whereas I think if you're younger, there's some hurdle you have to overcome first. It has to be quite a significant number of of medical expenses before you can deduct them. Um, But generally what I do is I just, and I tell my mom to do the same thing, is put all your invoices through the medical scheme. Because even if they don't pay them, they've got them recorded there. And it's just a lot easier when it comes to submitting to SARS. Yes. No, no, no. That's actually the best strategy. I will advise you that that is the best strategy. What you need to do is all the expenses that you get outside uh, the medical aid, give them, give the medical, um, the medical aid, the service provider, all those invoices, they consolidate them. When they issue that report, and upload, right, this or preload this on the SARS e-filing system, it will actually show these expenses. So it's more like we can then just prove to our, or we can just then say, did did this really, really incur? And then you're like, yes, it did incur. And that's it. And then Mm -hmm. even when they issue the medical aid tech certificate, it actually shows these expenses. So it becomes easier. Even for SARS, it won't be much of a hassle or much of a fuss now. And like a situation whereby it's not on the tax certificate, but however you have to put it on the tax certificate, you find that the audit becomes a bit strenuous. Mm-hmm. I think anything to make life easier. So, um, 
So, Donaldson, I need to come to this this, this issue of the home office deductions. So, <laughs> I don't know if you heard the, the commissioner last week. They said they've already received, last week they'd already received one over 1,500 tax returns that made claims for, for home office expenses. They were auditing over 1,300 of them. In other words, no, guys, we're not just going to say tick the box. Um, <laughs> what are you advising clients currently? All right, so what clients need to understand about uh, home office expenses is that they are generally um, income in nature, right? So they, what, what, what it means is that they are not capital in nature, right? Most of them, they are deductible, in other words. Most of them are deductible, in other words. However, um, obviously, we have to look at each one um, and weigh it on its merits, but most of them, they're generally deductible, right? So what I would advise now is, number one, you need to make sure that you have a proper agreement with your employee, right? That stipulates the nature of the expenses that you are likely going to incur in your personal capacity, right? And then after, after having that agreement in place, you make sure that you keep your invoices that also tally with this thing as well. So that when you decide to say, okay, look, I'm going to claim for this, 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 you know, and everything like that, you actually have the records to prove that, look, this is what happened. And you also have um, what's this, a confirmation from your employer saying, yes, this person is working from home and definitely is going to incur these expenses. Although, yes, we cannot put the price as yet, but then the invoices will be there now to prove to us that indeed this is what's happening. So that's how you then allow, that's how you actually get those deductions from SARS. You know, the moment they say they are auditing, it means that they want supporting documents. They are going deep and looking at each one, one by one. So in most cases, I would advise that uh, look, look for a consultant, discuss with them the nature of your expenses, right? And then have him assist or her assist you in um, determining whether they are capital in nature, because some 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 also fall on the capital side of things as well, you know. So, because one of the big ones seems to be the the space that you're utilizing at home. So you're using electricity and water and cleaning, um, and that can be a percentage of your um, of your home that you can actually deduct the running costs of that percentage of your home. You can actually deduct. But then that triggers capital gains tax implications because you're no longer using your home as primary residence. So that seems to be a big one that he also warned about. So maybe explain how, you know, he's saying, well, if you claim, say, 10% of your home space uh, for office work at the moment, remember when it comes to selling your house one day, we will consider 10% of the value doesn't fall under the, the exemption for, for capital gains tax for primary residence. But then I've had people say, messaging me saying, yes, but, but I mean, how I do it for two years and in 20 years time I sell my house. I mean, like, you know, does that make sense? So how are you, you advising clients around this? All right. So with those kind of situations, definitely you're going to need, a, that's when you need a legal opinion now, right? Whereby it will look at, we look at the merits of the matter. We look at the, the period in which, because it's no longer just something that comes off it, right? It's now the thing that we're not looking at the merits of the, 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 the case, right? We're saying, okay, fine. How many years have you been using this as an office, right? What is the total space that you've been using as an office? 
you know. So a lot of things starts coming into play now, and then we build up the case, right? Table it before SARS to say, okay, look, you know what? As part of the base cost, please remove this component. Or as part of the base cost, you have uh, unjustifiably removed this, but it actually forms part of the base cost, you know. Mm. So, because obviously, for capital gains purposes, you would want to raise your base cost higher so that <laughs> so that that capital yeah. checks becomes a bit lower. So, you know, yeah. so people will be like, no, but look, you know what? I've been using this as an office, but still, it's my it's my house and everything like that. You need a legal opinion now to support mm. and ascertain exactly that when it comes to SARS. Yeah, I think these are some of the, the areas of, and, and we are waiting for some clarity around this because we did hear from Minister Mboweni in February that they are relooking the home office usage. Um, and I think that's what we need. We need clarity. We need the rules to be more clear. But I know that, yeah. I mean, I also had a question from somebody saying, what about I earn commission? Um, now, if you're a commission earner, that is actually also different. If you're not an employee and more than 50% of your, your earnings are from commission, then you can claim more. So then more things become deductible. So you, it is actually quite a good idea if you're going to submit a claim, I think, uh, Donaldson, to get some good advice because or left, definitely watch the SARS webinar on the 8th of July. <laughs> but of course, SARS <laughs> is going to tell you not to put in claim an office home, office deductions. That's pretty much what they're going to no, say. No, it won't. It won't. It won't. Trust me, they'll say, okay, bring it, but then they'll just reject it, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll just, just reject it. But I think if you have supporting documents, that is absolutely key. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that you're supporting documents for anything you're claiming. Make sure you can prove. And if you can prove it, they've got to allow it. So I think this is going to be a hot a hot topic um, going forward. No, it will, it, it will definitely be a hot topic. And like I said, that's the reason why you find that uh, we've got consultants. That's the reason why we find that we've got lawyers who specialize in taxation because they then start looking at the precedence that has been set look previous case laws because i mean there are cases that are happening which involve these things right mm-hmm. so obviously they then look at these things how have they how is SARS and obviously the, the courts dealt with such things you know mm-hmm. and then from there now they'll be like okay so look this is uh our claim or this is our basis for one two three four five so it's very 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 advisable that even as much as you may think that oh look this is definitely one blah 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 Always get a consultant to just have a look at it, give you an idea, give you an opinion on that. Now, moving on to um, some of the other issues around around tax returns. Um, one of the big ones I also get is people saying, when am I a provisional taxpayer? And I think that's very important because you can also become a provisional taxpayer if you sell a major asset and you have a, a, capital gain, a big enough capital gains trigger. So maybe just explain what makes you a provisional taxpayer and how you would register if you if you are going to be one? Okay, so provisional tax comes in. Okay, for, so for you to become a provisional taxpayer, um, there are different ways in which, okay, that triggers that. Number one, if you, for instance, according to the new law, remember there's a new law with regards to foreign uh, employment income, right? Whereby the limit is uh, one point, um, the exemption is limited up to now. <clears throat> one point uh, uh, one million two hundred fifty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, if you do, if you get anything that is above that, right, then definitely you become a provisional taxpayer. Okay. Yeah. So you have to provide. You have to definitely become a pro. You definitely become a provisional taxpayer. Uh, no doubts about that. And then number two, if you earn, uh, let's say for instance, uh, anything above seventy nine k. Right, it means that income that is above seventy nine k, which is not employment income, 
So it means obviously these are my side businesses, uh, my side uh, in, in the in, in the street language now, my side assholes. If I put it across like that, yes. So obviously these things now, because you earn that income, that component of income, yes, it actually uh, warrants you to become a provisional taxpayer. But then obviously I also want to clear, and the third one is the disposal of assets. Hmm. Uh, whether it's um, a property, whether it's a uh, cryptocurrency or whatever, you know, um, of course with cryptocurrency, I'm going to touch on that a bit later, but then it also, um, it depends on the values as well. But however, in most cases, it warrants you to become a provisional taxpayer because the idea behind it is that you need to declare that amount at the earliest period possible. And the LC, yeah, that's the problem. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem on the deemed capital sales. So, so we're picking this up. So it's always been legislation, but SARS is now implementing it. So if during last year, so between March the 1st and the 28th, March the 1st, 2020, and the 28th of February, 2021, you sold an asset and you had a, a capital gains uh, of more than 79,000 Rand in this case, um, you had to actually pay that capital gains tax by the 28th of February, legally. But most people don't only receive their, um, I said, ITC3, that's the, 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 the document from the financial institution showing the capital gains in about May, June, right? I've only just started getting all mine from the financial institutions. <laughs> so are you seeing, and SARS is clamping down on this, and they're poor old pensioners <laughs> you are suddenly <laughs> being faced with penalties because they didn't understand. They thought, oh, I'll report it in. Um, they're not trying to not pay SARS. They're saying, okay, I'll put it in my tax return when I saw when you know, tax filing starts on the 1st of July. I'll add in my capital gains tax. SARS is saying, no, 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 no. You owed us that money on the 28th of February, 2021, and you're now going to be penalized. I mean, is this happening? Yes, 100%. Spot on. Look, what's happening here is that... Um, what you need to understand now is that because of we we came back to we, we it comes down again to that issue of the tax base because it's it's eroding right SARS is trying to it's, it's really really going on everyone you know they are not there they are not stopping so that so what they are doing now is like for instance by law you need to make sure that when you dispose something right you disclose of it in the first available period to you, right? And in, in most cases, they will argue that, look, we have created the provisional tax uh, season periods for you so that you can then put in those things, right? So you don't have to necessarily wait for the end of the year or for, for February and March, May, whatever, to get those IT3C. No, 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 no. You were upon disposal within that period of that, within that provisional period, right? Declare your, your, yourself. Because you know how much you bought these things for. You know how much you sold them for. So you know the profit that you're making. You don't have to wait for a certificate to come through. That's their argument. So you don't have to wait for the certificate. The certificate becomes a confirmation when we do the annual returns. And I think on that one, I would probably want to even touch on that. Please know that provisional returns is not double taxation. It's just a mechanism in which SARS have just created to... Um, it's just tried to, to consolidate, to help you in terms of your tax payments, you know. So they've separated the periods into probably two to say, okay, fine, 
is the first period, the second period, and then the annual return now then consolidates these two periods. So it's not like you're being taxed twice. Actually, you're not being you you are not being taxed twice mm. when it comes to to provisional. But I mean, you just made a point for me as well. I mean, if you had a capital gains event in May, it's due in August. So even if you only paid it in February, you're late. So I think this one is something a lot of people have missed um, and, and are not aware of. And I'm seeing complaints around that. And I think it's got to, got to be, again, this is where a tax practitioner would help you. But I think there needs to be a lot of awareness um, around this. And, and you know what? As, yes, you, you, Sarah says it's easy for you to know. If you have a share portfolio, for example, you've had it for many years, it's not always easy to know what those base costs were. You know, if you sold some shares and not all of shares. So I, I think here SARS is perhaps, you know, needs to be a little bit more understanding um, around it. But anyway, that's my opinion if I was running SARS. <laughs> but I will take it up with them and ask them for that question. And just on capital gains tech, just, to, um, you know, we talked about Bitcoin. Uh, you, you alluded to Bitcoin there. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of questions. Like Bitcoin, how does SARS view Bitcoin? Now, I can tell you, I was on a webinar with international regulators around the world, and all of them said Bitcoin is not a currency. So don't think it's a currency or that it'll be treated like a currency. It is not being treated like a currency. That is not the case. So how is SARS seeing your Bitcoin investments? All right. So first thing you need to understand is, number one, Bitcoin is not a currency for South African tax purposes. And I mean, globally, most of them, they say it's not, right? But however, however, you need to take note. There are certain people that provide a service and then get paid using Bitcoin, right? Now, the fact that you've been paid using Bitcoin for the service that you've rendered, it means you're gonna, it's going to be included in your gross income. Oh. Yes, it will be included in your gross income, right? But... In normal, in normal cases, if you, for instance, say, okay, fine, look, I'm into the hobby of trading cryptocurrencies, you know, like you do it as a hobby, but at the same time, earn some money out of it, right? This will be regarded as, regarded as an asset. So it will be just treated as a normal uh, asset that is being bought and being disposed. So definitely it will trigger capital gains tax. So I wasn't sure about whether it, it, it tracks capital gains tax or it, it's added to your income, you know, as, as a trading income. Because I thought SARS yeah. seems to be going more for trading income at this stage rather than a capital yes. income. That's also where it gets complicated. Yeah, don't, definitely. That's actually, we, we've had a lot of uh, questions with regards to that, you know. We've had a lot of questions with regards to that. But I, like I said, it now depends on which streamline it came through, right? Mm-hmm. But in most cases, if it's held for trading purposes, if it's held for trading purposes, right, you buy it and you say, okay, fine, I'm gonna hold this for like in any other in like in any other case or in any other income uh, uh, generating circumstances. SARS will look at, okay, fine, is this a hobby? Do you do this like um, uh, periodically? Do you do this maybe like on a continuous basis? You know, that kind of thing. So if you do it on a continuous basis, then definitely it becomes part of your gross income, you know, because you're doing it what? It's, it's more like that's your business. That's the nature of your business. But however, if you are going to get that cryptocurrency, hold it for some time, right? And then dispose of it maybe after a certain period, right? And then it becomes what? It becomes capital in nature. So they look at, um, they obviously look at the hobby. They, they obviously look at um, 
your primary activities, you know, and everything around surrounding that Bitcoin. Mm. And how you also, you actually acquired that Bitcoin as well. It also comes into play as well. And then from there, you'll be able to ascertain to say, okay, fine, look, you know what? Is this uh, gross income or is this, does this form part of the gross income, brother? Or does, is this capital in nature? And, and I'm just coming back to this idea of being paid in Bitcoin. So, you know, we how does SARS deem the value of the Bitcoin in rands, is it on the day that you receive the Bitcoin or the average price for the year? Because, boy, that is a volatile <laughs> number. Oh, yeah. So, so no, how do they no, determine no, no. the value? No, no, that one, is, that, one is a bit, that one is a bit straight. They look at the value on that particular day, on when the transaction is occurred. Okay. Okay, yeah. so they'll actually look and you'll have to show you on that day Bitcoins was worth X amount of yes, rand and that's yeah. what they what they yeah, pay, yeah. what they'll they'll then they'll then consider it, right? Okay. Well, you know, Donald, thank you so much. I think you've just, you know, we've powered through so much information. We could probably be here for three hours. Um, but of course, the best thing to do is to rather contact a tax practitioner if you have a lot of questions and you want to get good answers. Um, but hopefully this has been a good guide. And and Donaldson, is any sort of last you know, kind of comments you want to make, any trends that you're picking up that you think our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, look, um, I think one thing that you need to understand is that, look, as much as SARS has uh, created a situation whereby auto assessments and everything like that, right, the owners of disclosure rest with you. It does not mean that you've been auto assessed and you're like, okay, look, that's what they've picked up. I also have got other stuff that's not being seen yet, so let me keep quiet. No, 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 no. Believe you me, SARS will pick it up. They will pick it up and they'll come to you. As much as it's not on the auto assessment, they'll pick it up and it'll come to you. So I advise that look, when you have that auto assessment, if you're not so sure of what's happening there, take go to a tax consultant. Let them help you. Let them interpret information that is there for you. Let them do all the due diligence that needs to be done so that you make sure that you are compliant and avoid unnecessary penalties, avoid unnecessary um, what's this? I mean, right now there's no talk of the jail term as well, you know. So just, just, just work towards that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, make some comments about Zoomer and never going to jail anyway, but I will make <laughs> stay away from politics. <laughs> Maybe we're never going to go to jail. We just keep, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> May, a good one. <laughs> oh yeah. So, but I think well, yeah, basically that's it. And we are here for you. Um, anything that you want. You can always come through. We can always discuss. We can always assist you fully. Super. Donaldson, thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Maya. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.